0: So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our church-wide campaign called The Story. Uh, remember, we're journeying through God's Word together through 31 weeks, and at the end of this, I promise you, in fact, I guarantee you, the Bible's going to make so much more sense. You're going to understand Jesus and how all the stories fit together, so just continue on moving forward with us in this, in, in this study. So today, <clears throat> I want to introduce you to two questions. And there are two questions that I was taught that changed my outlook on faith, that grew my relationship with Jesus Christ probably more than anything else. It's a big, a big thing, isn't it? Two very simple questions that can revolutionize, revolutionize the way you hear sermons, Bible studies, or even when you read the scriptures yourself. In fact, if you're one of those Christians that just love to go deep, I believe these two questions will allow you to go as deep as you possibly can. So here's the questions. What is God saying to me? And what am I gonna do about it? On the surface, it doesn't seem like much, oh, but I promise it is. When every time you encounter a sermon, a Bible study, reading it on your own, you believe that God is talking to you. You believe he's speaking to you. And you believe that he's prompting you to actually put your faith to action. You see, going deep isn't about knowing all the Greek words. It isn't about having big fancy degrees. Going deep is putting the practices of the teachings of Jesus into actual use. Well, that's according to Jesus anyways. He says in Matthew 7:24, he says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who wants to be known for being wise? Yeah, here's your alternative. He says, well, no, he says, the rain came down, the streets rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like what? Foolish who built his house on the sand the rain came down the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash you see wisdom you know going deep is about knowledge about this idea of wisdom and knowing and Jesus says hey to be wise is to actually put into practice what I teach you don't just hear it and go about your business that's that's foolish put it into practice and so can you imagine if every time you encountered scripture Every time you heard a sermon, right? Because then the sermon wouldn't be about me or any other pastor. The sermon would be about you and what you hear and what you do. When you encounter the scripture, you'd be like, hey, God's talking to me and prompting me to do something about this. I mean, what if we took all of that upon ourselves and said, hey, I'm going to be obedient? I believe God is speaking. And therefore, I'm going to act on it. You see, because that idea is what we're going to be introduced today. It's, what we're gonna see in the story of Ruth. Because the story of Ruth and and what we're gonna talk about today is very, very simple. Nothing in it is groundbreaking. Nothing is new information. In fact, this sermon could just be for those ordinary people. Who's ordinary here? Okay, we have some people with delusions of grandeur, I guess, okay? But for the rest of us, right? those of you, this isn't for you. But those ordinary people, this sermon is for You, which should be a relief because I bet when you read the Bible, at least I do, I can get pretty intimidated by what I read and what I see the people doing. I mean, when I think of Abraham, God directly told Abraham what he wanted him to do. Some of us struggle for weeks, months, years, a lifetime trying to figure out what God wants us to do. But God audibly spoke to him and said, Oh, yeah, by the way, I just want you to, you know, do this, you know, build a nation like nothing, not nothing too big, like just a nation's gonna come for you, Abraham. And then you encounter Noah. God directly spoke to him. He said, hey, I want you to build this you know, huge boat and you're gonna save the entire human race. I mean, no big deal, right? Anybody had something like that happen? they are like, yeah, no. I mean, so we get these characters and it gets intimidating. I mean, think about Moses. Hey, you're gonna rescue. You're gonna do some like, parting the sea. I'm sure many of us have tried, right? You went down to the river. You tried to part. It didn't work, right? And so we see these things. It's like, well, there's nothing ordinary about these people It seems like when God uses people, it's always for this extraordinary things, and that's never happened to me, so maybe, you know, what what am I supposed to do? How about us ordinary people who don't hear that calling, who don't have any superpowers? How do we fit into God's plan? You know, maybe we're never gonna be in the headlines. Maybe we don't have the finances to do something huge. Maybe we don't know the right people. So for you, you ordinary ones, This is for you. Because the great thing about the Bible is we see so many different characters in so many different situations that each one of us can relate to somebody in there. And see, if you read chapter nine of the story, if not, you can go back and read it when you get home. You actually read the entire book of Ruth. Now, for some of you, that's the first time you ever read a whole Bible book. You're like, whew, it's only four chapters, right? Some of you maybe read Titus. It's pretty short, okay? But so, Ruth is very short, and there aren't any miracles. There aren't any prophecies. We don't see prophets running around, you know, saying some crazy things. It's just ordinary, everyday people. In fact, the entire book of Ruth can be described as God's sovereignty, which is God's rule and reign over just ordinary people. The book starts off by telling about a character named Naomi who loses her husband and she has these two sons, and they end up dying too, so it's just her and her daughter-in-laws who have to make a journey back home. So Naomi lost her husband. The two women are there with their husbands. They end up dying, and so you just have three single women living in a foreign land by themselves. Now, what kind of situation would that have been, been like back then? Yeah, terrible. Women had no rights. And so Naomi decides, she goes, hey, I'm going to go back home to my people. Her husband took her out of of the promised land. Okay, by the way, this happens during the time period of Judges, what we looked at last week. And so they left a land. They're living out there. Their husbands died. The men died. So the women are going, hey, what do we do next? Naomi says, I'm going to go back home to my people. She tells her daughter-in-law, hey, you're young enough. You can get remarried. I can't. you know, I'm too old, my my time's passed, I'm gonna go back to my people, y'all go back home. You go find more husbands. One daughter-in-law decides, okay, you know, put up a little bit of fight, but says, you know what, I'll go home, and she went back to her mother's house. But not Ruth. Ruth wants to go with Naomi. Naomi says, no, you're young. You're a widow. You still have time to have kids. You still have time to do all this stuff. Just go back home. But look what Ruth says. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn your back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where, where you die, I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. And so this is a huge commitment made by Ruth. I mean, some of us would love to get away from a mother-in-law's as quickly as possible. Amen? Not me, all right? My wife's in this service, not me, okay? But she said, no, I'm gonna be with you. I mean, Naomi has nothing to offer She doesn't have any money, she doesn't have any sons, she doesn't have anything to give her, she's poor. Naomi, I mean, Ruth could easily go find somebody else and she says, I'm gonna be right here with you. So Ruth, He's just an ordinary person. But she was extraordinary to Naomi. Naomi didn't have anybody else. I mean, why would Ruth do this for her? Why not look out for herself? I don't have any money to give her. I don't have any sons to give her. I have nothing I can give her. But yet Ruth is right by her side, walking right there with her. And so they go back home. They go back to Bethlehem. Ruth has to take care of the family because there are no men to work. And so Ruth goes out into the field to pick up the leftover grain. You see, in Israel, they had provisions to take care of the poor. They allowed foreigners, widows, and and poor people to gather the grain from the corner of the fields. They would leave those for them. They would harvest the middle, but the outside was, it's kind of like a welfare system, to take care of other people. So they would go there to pick it up. And when Ruth went to this particular field, she ended up in the field of Boaz, who was a relative of her father-in-law. She didn't know this at first, and he found favor on her. He said he would protect her. He'd allow her to get grain from the field. In fact, he'd give her a little bit of extra. She said, well, why would you do this for me? Well, I said, well, because I heard what you've done for Naomi. Look what he says. Ruth 2.15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. Even put some out of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So instead of just letting her work the field and let her just pick up the leftovers, say, no, give a little bit of extra. Make sure she gets some of the good stuff. In fact, don't rebuke her, don't reprimand her, which means, hey, guys, This young single woman out here working, leave her alone. Don't harass her. Don't bother her. Let her do what she has to do. And so he continues to give her extra food to continue to take care of this family. And he showed her favor because of her actions for Naomi. When Naomi got excited about this, Naomi was like, hey, this guy's taking care of this. This is awesome. Perhaps he will be our family redeemer. We're like, we don't have family redeemers nowadays, do we? Here's what a family redeemer was. Many of you probably know. A guardian redeemer, family redeemer, was a law Israel had which gave the right for the next person in lie after a husband or father or somebody died, someone else in the family could redeem the land. So, evidently, when Boaz left Israel, he left behind land. Maybe it was foreclosed on, maybe it was repoed. We don't know what happened to it, but somebody else now had the land. But because everything was divvied out when you know, Israel got the promised land, it was divvied out among tribes, they all had their own plots. So a family redeemer could come in after their death, buy it back so it can stay in that family's line. And so Ruth asked Boaz to be this person, hey, will you redeem our family? He chooses to do so, but says, hey, I, I, I actually don't have the right. There's somebody else ahead of me. Somebody else has first claim. Let me work it out with him. Let me see if he will redeem it. And if not, I will. And so Boaz goes to the man and says, hey, do you want to redeem this land? And he's like, yeah, I want to buy the land. I mean, why not? I have the money. Why not have extra land? Then it can go to my inheritance. This will be great. Well, Boaz throwing, well, if you redeem the land, you got to marry Ruth. But the thing is, he didn't actually legally have to marry Ruth. Boaz does this in front of the elders and puts the man on the spot. He calls him out, oh, you're going buy the land, but you're not gonna take care of that man's family? And the guy's like, well, I can't do that. Boaz says, well, I will. He says, I'm not only buy the land, I'll make sure to marry Ruth. And here's the interesting thing. When he marries Ruth and has children with Ruth, that first child is the previous husband's child. It's a way because family names were extremely important. So a way for his the, the husband who passed away who didn't have any children, the way for his line to continue was by Boaz saying, hey, I'm gonna have a son for you. I'll, I'll, we're gonna have a child and I'll take care of it, but it won't carry my name. In fact, I'll buy land and, and it'll be his land or her land. This, I'm gonna buy this for them. Like This is an extraordinary thing. This is well above and beyond the idea of a stepfather. This is doing this completely for somebody else. And so he does. He marries Ruth. He redeems the land. And that child, which is really the big part of the book, the child is Obed, who is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father, the great, excuse me, and this is um, the great-grandfather of soon-to-be King David. And so this is, this is in the scriptures to show us because we're about to get to the stories of this guy, King David, who you probably know, and at least you know from David and Goliath, right? Yeah, same guy, ends up being king. He didn't, he didn't stop at the shepherd thing. Becomes the big king, the one that does great things, which is the line that King Jesus comes from later. So this is a story of heritage. that God uses these People just doing ordinary things and is doing amazing things through them. You see, this story is very different than other Bible stories. Just regular people with regular jobs, with regular abilities, living life. But we see God working behind the scenes through them, through the larger redemption plan. But you see, Ruth and Boaz were intentional about their efforts, So the bottom line, the main idea for you to take away today, it's nothing you haven't heard before probably, but it's you may be ordinary, but you can be extraordinary to someone in need. You may be ordinary, but you can be extraordinary to somebody in need. You see, Ruth was just an ordinary person. In fact, she wasn't even Jewish, but she has a book named after her in the Jewish scriptures. How about that? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Just an ordinary person who decided to go the extra mile for her mother-in-law. She wasn't forced to, didn't have to. She had every right to take care of herself, watch out for her needs and her family and her kids, but she didn't. And I guarantee you she was extraordinary to Naomi who had nobody else. And we see Boaz who's just an ordinary man. He stepped up to take care of a family in need. And if you're in a blended family, you have to do with stepdads, stepmoms, and if you've ever had to go through that, you understand the importance of that, of somebody else coming in and, and helping your family and trying to pick up the pieces. So Boaz was extraordinary, made sure they had the food to eat, redeemed the land. He didn't have to, but he chose to. You see, God was working through regular people to accomplish his bigger plans, and so, you may be ordinary and everyday person, but you can be extraordinary to somebody in need. And so, today is just a reminder that you don't have to have superpowers to do things for the Lord. In fact, everything you have may seem so small and insignificant. What you have to offer other people may not seem like a big deal to you, but to somebody in need, you may very well be the answer. To a prayer. You say, well, God could never use me. Sure he can. He absolutely can. But with there being so many needs and so many things we could do, it can become absolutely overwhelming. If you're like me, you can get so caught up trying to figure thing out, everything out before you do it, you end up doing what? Right? Nothing. You're like, oh, man, I, you know what? This is just too big. I won't do anything. There's too many needs. Too many homeless people, so I just won't help any of them. Right? No. The best advice I ever heard on just kind of putting faith to action is do for one what you wish you could do for all. Very simple. You wish you could take out all of world hunger. Go for it. But start with that person down the road who doesn't have enough to eat. Just do for one what you could wish you could do for all. Because you never know how little tiny things you do may impact somebody's life. You see, for me, as I told you before, I was, I was a terrible student. I had terrible grades. I had an attitude problem, got suspended all the time. I'm not proud of that, but it's just to paint a picture, okay? I was bad, right? Just wasn't a good kid. I grew up in a very broken family, and when I was in high school, I hadn't known my dad for very long. And, and if you've ever been through that, I, I, maybe some of you have, if you meet your dad when you're a teenager, how well do you think that goes over? Right, all my teenage attitudes with that bitterness. Yeah, I was pretty rough, okay? And so he, he couldn't speak into my life. Had a great stepdad who married my mom a little bit before that, but again, I was a teenager with a stepdad. How well do you think he could speak into my life? Right, paints the picture. Wasn't a, good, wasn't a good kid. And when I was in school, I got in trouble all the time, usually for talking. Surprises all of you, doesn't it? I got in trouble for talking and being disruptive. And usually I thought school was my social hours. I surely wasn't there to do schoolwork or learn anything. I was there to socialize. And then how dare my teachers tell me I'm not allowed to talk. I didn't find that very nice. So I, I was very disruptive. It was my life. And so during that time, I was also working as an electrician, uh, le- electrical apprentice. And as you know, most construction work happens during the day. So I would get out of school early. I would go do some construction, but... I could only work a couple of hours, and I wasn't, didn't have the money I needed to take care of you know, my car and all that stuff. I, was, I bought it. And so my friend got me a job at a car wash, just working on Saturdays to earn some extra money. Wasn't a big deal, but I took my talkative and authoritative you know, issues with authority problems to the car wash. And this is a big thing. They had a lot of moving parts. But the general manager noticed something about me. You see, this guy likes to talk and he's bold because some of the stuff I said, it took boldness, I promise you. And he did something different. Instead of rebuking me, instead of yelling at me, he spoke into my life in a positive way. He told me I had great potential. He told me I could be a great leader one day. He told me he believed in me. And outside of my mother, I had never heard those words before. Not from one school teacher. Not from one coach. Nobody. You see, his name was Kelly Pageant. And at 16, 17 years old, he changed the course of my life. Now I had plenty to work on, don't get me wrong. I was still rough. But instead of firing me, he said, this guy seems like he's made out for sales. Let me teach him how to use what he can do in a positive and productive way. And do you know at 16 years old, working 25 hours a week, I made more than all of my teachers? I'm not joking. I was in marketing. They got mad at my pay stubs. It took somebody to recognize something in me. And instead of fussing at me like everybody else did, they said, hey, how about we show you how to use this? How about I teach you how to do this in a positive way? He gave me affirmation. He gave me direction. He taught me for the first time in my life that maybe my personality wasn't bad. Maybe I had a gift. I just had to learn how to use it. Now you're saying, what? I mean, It doesn't sound like a big deal. Oh, I promise you, it is to me. Because almost 20 years later, I'm still talking about it. A general manager at a car wash decided to take this punk kid and speak positive into his life. He was ordinary. But he played an extraordinary part in my life because I needed guidance. I needed someone to believe in me. I needed to be shown that I actually wasn't bad. Maybe I made poor choices, but I wasn't bad. An ordinary person played an extraordinary part of my life, and maybe you have stories like that. Because you can be ordinary, but you can be extraordinary to somebody in need. And so even if you don't think you have a lot to offer, Even if you think, well, I don't have superpowers. I can't do these great big old things. That's okay. You can probably meet the needs of one person in the particular way that only you can do. And you never know, you may change the whole course of their life. If you just did for one, which you wish you could do for everyone. So I think that's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, as Christians, and we already know this, we're to do good deeds to be the light of the world as Jesus Christ is, right? Jesus is the actual light of the world, but as his fathers, we reflect his goodness and glory into this world, and we help those in need. We, we take care of people. But just a friendly reminder, Jesus clarifies why we do it. It's because there's something inside all of us, if we're to be honest, you don't have to tell anybody, we already know it's true. There's something inside of all of us that likes glory, that likes praise. We like people talking good about us. We're like, yeah, man, can you believe what they did? Can you believe how awesome you saved the day? We all love that. But Jesus says, yeah, I know, but I want you to do good deeds for a different reason. So when they see it, they glorify your Father. You see, our good deeds are not for us. Our good deeds are to point them to God. He gets the credit. He gets The glory. We can all do simple and practical things. We can all show the love of Christ in simple and practical ways. Seemingly insignificant things in your life can be amazing to somebody else. You know, last year I was at a leadership conference and they told us to thank the people who developed you as a leader. I sent Kelly an email. He's actually in ministry Never, I didn't know he knew the Lord. It was very weird. But I sent him an email saying, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but thank you. And he did remember me. And he was blown away. And now we see both of us as pastors. Really weird, right? God was working behind the whole scene the whole time. You see, and what we see in the story of Ruth is God using little things to accomplish the family line of King David. That would be the family line of King Jesus. And Ruth has her name in the line of Jesus. Wow. So, what is God saying to you? Who can you be extraordinary to this week? Maybe it's that coworker that's having a hard time. Maybe it's that child who lives down the street who you know that doesn't have a father, doesn't have someone to do that kind of things with them. Maybe you could teach them how to throw a football. Maybe it's that friend that you know is having marital trouble and you've been scared to death to reach out but you know you're supposed to. Maybe it's that person at school who's getting picked on that doesn't have a lot of friends that isn't fitting in. Maybe it's that young single mom who's struggling. Maybe you can speak life into that. It's not hard to find a person in need, is it? So what is God saying to you about it? But here's the fun part. What are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna be another prompting that just comes in the ear and flies out the other? Or is this the sermon that says, I know it's been on my heart, and today, I'm gonna do something about it. Hold yourself accountable. In fact, you wanna get real crazy with it? Have someone else hold you accountable. Not your spouse, though, right? They're already already really good at that. Maybe maybe somebody else. But speak, tell someone else, hey, I'm I'm gonna try this. And watch what God can do through that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and thank you for the gift of speaking to us, not only through your word, but through your Holy Spirit. Father, we know that you are alive and active in our lives. We thank you for allowing us to take part in the wonderful work you're doing in this world. And Father, today we pray collectively as a church that we're sensitive to your leading. Father, we come to you with our palms open, living regular lives, ready to give and ready to receive whatever you had for us. Father, let us hear your promptings of love towards other people. With all the distractions we have, with all the busyness we face, Father, I pray that we are sensitive to your leading. And then, Father, I pray that you give us the boldness to step up to that task. To follow through on just showing the love of Jesus Christ in simple and practical ways. Father, I pray that we don't push them aside, but we act when you're leading. Because, Lord, as we pray, we know others are praying for help. And may we be that answer to point them back to you. To the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.